0: to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by John Wallace, Fund Manager of the Jupiter Green Investment Trust. John has been sole manager of the fund uh, since February 2021, having co-managed the fund since January 2021. Before joining Jupiter, John worked at Forum for the Future, a non-profit organisation that works in partnership with business, government and civil society to accelerate the shift towards a sustainable future. He began his investment career with Jupiter in 2009. John has a BA in Economics and History and an MSc in Environmental Technology. So, in terms of the Jupiter Green Investment Trust, if we could uh, start at the beginning, what's the strategy and what are the objectives for the trust? Sure. So, the strategy is
1: is a very long standing one. Uh, the the Jupiter Green Investment Trust has a, a similar objective to Jupiter's wider Environmental Solutions Funds in that it seeks to offer clients exposure to what we see as being very compelling long term growth opportunities in companies that are. Focused on developing and rolling out solutions for the world's environmental problems, so that means starting with quite a distinct investment universe um, differentiated I think quite to a higher degree from the wider market um, by having um, a focus on, on businesses which at the core of what they're doing um, are working towards solutions to environmental themes such as the circular economy, clean energy sustainable mobility and water for example and we think those solutions um, have become essential, really, to global development now. Hence, why we think that as a group, that investment universe will continue to to outpace the growth of the the economy as a whole. In terms of the the approach within that, so the approach, as I said, is long standing. But in terms of strategy, what is subtly different for the Jupiter Good Investment Trust is that we have sought to pivot the portfolio more towards companies innovating solutions and companies that are already rapidly delivering proven sustainability solutions in their markets. And we call these companies innovators and accelerators and about two thirds of the portfolio now is allocated to those companies.
0: Okay, and and what are the sort of uh, geographical and and sector allocations of the trust? Sure, so it's a global investment fund, uh, always has been, so we're about
1: 35% Uh, exposed to the US or North America. Most of that is the US. 10% in Asia-Pacific, and that includes Japan. The rest is actually in Europe. So, that's that's effectively overweight Europe if you compare us to a a global mainstream index. And that's just a reflection of where we're finding the best value at the moment. And it doesn't really move around a great deal period to period. Sector allocation, actually, we have very little um, or no uh, healthcare financials or big tech like Google, Microsoft, you won't really find that in the portfolio. We're much more exposed from a sector perspective to industrials, consumer goods, utilities, for example.
0: Okay, uh, obviously we've seen a, an increased focus on all things ESG over the last year or two. Does that make it more difficult for you to find green bargains, so to speak? So, I, yeah, so I, I guess that the focus
1: on ESG and, and, and green Uh, is actually very welcoming. That's the starting point. So, thinking back, if you like, to about a year ago or a little more than a year ago, maybe to the depth of the pandemic, it definitely wasn't clear that the market landscape would be as supportive uh, as it is for environmental solutions companies. It certainly wasn't back in 2009 when I compare it to that period, if we cast our minds back. But if anything, the landscape has strengthened, um, and that reflects much greater attention from what I guess governments and corporates uh, have on the green agenda, stronger focus on how important it will be to, to ensure we have a sustainable economic recovery. And the term, you know, build back, back better, soy, which we heard extensively over the weekend at G7, is to a large extent within that about building back greener. So that's a very powerful signal in the long term, not just to investment markets. That we all operate in but also to companies looking to innovate to enable that transition that change so if we think about a long term i think that's actually hugely encouraging um, for us and for the investment trust that the pipeline of that opportunity should remain healthy um but i, by that I mean diverse firstly uh, and also with strong growth prospects but i see your point i see the question so that all said um Can we continue to find green bargains? So I think we can, Um, I think we've continued to do so actually, but largely that means using the breadth and the depth of the investment themes that I talked about. So there are many important parts of of the environmental solutions landscape that are actually quite far off the beaten track. And so it pays to be completely focused in this area, um, to have all of my time and attention, the team's time and attention in this area, to, to be one step ahead really. Um, And if I think about this year in particular, what's been working well, it's in areas such as climate change solutions or solutions for climate change. Um, But areas that are not perhaps the most obvious ones, So, clean energy is the the one that springs to the mind most of all when people think about how we can solve climate change. But actually, if we think about this year, what's working for us is solutions in energy efficiency, for example, from industrial energy efficiency settings to, to energy efficiency in the home and in vehicles. And it's also in materials companies uh, that are looking, for example, to substitute petrochemicals from everyday items, for example. So it's the broader landscape, um, but the same fundamental drivers within it. Um, so, so essentially, yes, I think that's the, the response there is we can find green bargains by looking deeply, uh, looking into long term through the, all of the investment themes that we're looking to have exposure to.
0: And I noticed from uh, the, the list of your holdings, uh, there's a couple of uh, interesting companies uh, within your top holdings. Perhaps you could uh, just talk you, talk us through um, what the companies do and what you think of them at the moment. The first of which is one called Vestas Wind Systems. Sure. So, so Vestas is is a long-standing company. So when I talk
1: about innovative companies uh, earlier, actually Vestas is is much further along its journey than 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 many companies that we we're looking at. So. It is still innovating. It's a company which produces uh, and services wind turbines, both in onshore and offshore environments globally, very global business. It's Danish listed, but its biggest market presence is in the US. Um, It's it's relatively large for us. So it's in terms of dollar terms, it's $36 billion market cap, so relatively large for us. Um, And, yeah, long-standing holding as well. A company we know well. We, we see it as the leader within its field, but also that's not just you know, that's not why we hold it. We think that the the long-term outlook for this company is very positive. So if we think about the US, for example, Joe Biden uh, was reaffirming again recently that his intent um, is to have a power grid in the US which is carbon-free by 2035. So 14 years away. That's very aggressive, and that would mean adding to the US power grid. Uh, about 6 to 7% every year from renewables. Uh, we're waiting to see what levers Joe Biden and the administration are really going to pull to do that. That's roughly the ballpark figure that would need to happen. That's every year, year in, year out to 2035. To put that into context, we're currently adding about just under 2% to the grid from renewables. So, you'd see quite a step change over that time period. And there aren't many companies that have the kind of fully invested capital base, certainly in the U.S., um, that can help to to, as I say, enable that that transition. Investas um, is certainly one of them with a very long-standing management team that, as I mentioned, we know well, um, and it's a it's a long-standing position for us and a, and a top holder.
0: And uh, another one with the uh, rather interesting name of Renewcell. RenewCell, yes. Yeah, so RenewCell, much much uh, more
1: recent additions to the portfolio. This came into the market uh, through an IPO uh, in November of last year, uh, where we bought it at that point. We've been speaking to the company from the summer of last year. They were looking to, to potentially have private investment or public investment in a listed vehicle. Um, we could do both with the Jupiter Investment Trust, which is a, a great feature to have. And that's partly why they started speaking to us as well. Um, so RenewCell, what they do is, is actually is very different to, to Vestas. They're in what we would call the circular economy theme. So they are a company which have innovated a solution for recycling textiles or clothes. So at the moment, most of that is is denim, denim-based uh, clothes that have either been pre-worn or the mountains of waste of, of unsold garments. That in the middle of this decade in Europe, you'll no longer be able to dispose of that through landfill or through incineration. So that's a big mounting problem for for sellers of uh, or retailers, I should say, of garments. Um, and something they need to deal with, and obviously there's a huge environmental impact as well associated with that waste, but also the, the environmental impacts of denim in particular and cotton-based uh, materials is very high, in particular water. Um, so often coming from parts of the world that, that don't have a lot of water. So being able to recycle that has profound environmental impacts on, on the positive side. And this is a company that has been developing its solution. It's already got commercial products in the marketplace with the likes of H&M, with Levi's, for example. H&M are a large holder in the company. Uh, they're locked in as well for, for the next period until I think at least uh, this time next year, so 2022, by which time the company will have its, its, its kind of step change uh, development you know, running. So it will have a, a significant footprint in Sweden initially where it can recycle and distribute that recycled material back into the supply chains for, te- for global textile companies. So it's a much smaller company, much newer, if you like, in terms of its nascency compared to Vestas. It's a 450 million market cap company in sterling terms, so, so relatively small. Um, and uh, But, yeah, very well placed, we think, to be able to provide a solution to a very long, long-term long um, significant um, uh
0: environmental challenge that does need to be addressed. OK, uh, from from a broader perspective, obviously we've had a quite extraordinary 18 months or so. How have you found the Trust to be coping uh, within that difficult environment? And indeed, did 2020 give you the opportunity to add new names to the portfolio?
1: It definitely did. I think so looking back 18 months, it has been a rollercoaster in many respects. But in a nutshell, as I mentioned, the Jupiter Green Investment Trust is more focused now on innovative companies, growth stage companies that, uh, than certainly the wider portfolios that I manage. So, performance was very, very strong in 2020, but has been pretty muted so far this year in an environment where favor has swung, I guess, back towards more value type, type stocks. So, we've seen some pullback in some themes, certainly this year, in particular clean energy. And that's been a key dynamic for us so far this year, taking profits out of clean energy as a, as a theme and recycling that back into other pockets of opportunity. Renew Cell being one of those areas that I mentioned earlier. Um, other companies as well in the similar theme, um, but having a diverse um, array of end markets. So, um, companies like Borigod, for example, where they're, they are taking out um, and offering substitutes for petrochemicals. Uh, in everyday products, so cosmetics, even flavorings so vanilla flavoring, for example, most of that globally comes from from the petrochemical industry, believe it or not so so it 's finding those sorts of companies slightly more of the beaten track um, and adding to to the adding to positions existing positions but also new positions as well within that um, but if we take a, a step back from i guess recent volatility and think about the longer term, you know I think we're really only just at the the start of a multi year multi-decade opportunity uh, in environmental solutions companies. Um, you know, Joe Biden called climate change the number one existential threat facing humanity again this weekend. Uh, and if we take that as an example, that particular area as an example, we're a long way from dealing with that threat in full. Um, so the solutions are there albeit quite thinly spread and we're seeing some innovation which I think is very exciting in areas of the economy that haven't yet really had environmental solutions applied to them but are really important in the long term so agriculture being another area. So in that sense um, you know we're looking on very much on the lookout for those innovators uh, to add to the portfolio and are obviously taking periods of of perhaps market weakness to add to existing
0: portfolios. And uh, that's that's also a very good summary of course of of, uh your outlook from here and, and how your position. So just finally, are you finding any particular uh, geographical areas in the world, perhaps which you've got a bit more catching up to do, or, or perhaps where um, the move towards green is uh, really accelerating at the moment? Yeah, so, I mean, we, we tend to have access to companies
1: that regardless of where they're focused, or where they're listed, should we say, uh, have a global market. So uh, the two examples that we talked about earlier are good examples of that. What we're seeing, though, beyond that is a significant ramp up in opportunity, certainly in emerging markets. So we're seeing sort of EM-listed companies that are becoming themselves global leaders. So we expect that trend to continue. A lot of the solutions that they're generating are initially, at least for, for local market issues. So also being the theme in particular, I think, in emerging markets, is certainly more acute typically speaking. So I think that that sort of dynamic will continue to to extend over time, and it's not necessarily a case of, of being a huge amount of, of our time and attention just to ramp that number up, that exposure up. But I think over time, the exposure to emerging
0: market-listed companies will probably just start to creep up as a reflection of the underlying investment talked about. Fascinating invites. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, John, and for those valuable insights. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe and of course you can find much more by the way of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now.